Our wedding day, August 2000. Um, it was great. You know, I used to be a poet. Oh my god, this is like, I'm getting married. Oh my god, oh my god, I was like. <sighs> and I don't believe in feeling. <laughs> and my, my mother, of course, is sitting there going, I don't see what's so funny. <laughs> it was hilarious. People still slag me off about it, but. <laughs> but yeah, so it was a good day. <laughs> this is Rachel Armstrong. This is Michelle Farrell, Rachel's partner. I was born in um, well, I was born in um, Mullingar, which is in Westmead, but I lived for most of my life in Longford. It's a re- rural area, like small village, the usual, um, you know, one shop, five pubs, one church type thing. It's very backward. I would consider it backward. I mean. But I was happy enough there, like, I mean, family life was grand. There was my sister, and I was very close to her, like, 11 months between us, so we had a good relationship like that, but we were uh, considered weirdos in the local uh, village, I think, because uh, because of the family situation and stuff. But um, we had good crack. I mean, you look back now, it's like, oh, my God, we played in the garden and all stuff, and the kids with computer games, you're starting to get old and look back and go, for sake, like, you know, especially with Lisa now, you see her and you go, do you not go out and play in the garden? She's like, I'm 16, Shelley, don't play in the garden and stuff like that. School crack, like it was, it was a nice time. You look back fondly, like you always forget the bad stuff, and you say, "Okay, it was, it was great." Here, actually, it's great. It's so central, and because um, we're just on the keys, but then it's so quiet once you come into the courtyard, you know. And it's got the waterfall, which is lovely. So, you think of the town that's going to be loud and stuff, but it's not, it's nice and quiet. Do you know your neighbors? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, I wouldn't have a clue if they come up and slap me in the face I wouldn't know who they are I know there's lots of people from all over the world living here um, there's lots of kids which is always good but uh, I don't know, I don't know who they are (laughs) 
I was born um, Longford didn't have well, they had a hospital but they didn't have apparently I was I don't know apparently I was early or something like that I was incubated I don't know, I'm not sure the exact terms I was brought to Longford Hospital my mother um, was 17 just gone 17 I think and we were brought to Longford but unfortunately they didn't have the um, facilities so we had to go to um, Mullingar Hospital but unfortunately because she was so young her husband had to sign off the fact that um, she had to go under anaesthetic but of course we had to stop outside the local pub in the local village the Hamlin's man had to go in and get him he had to come out and write his name and apparently they were all gathered around the back of the Hamlin's and my mum was lying there waiting to be induced and stuff it was very um, she loves telling that story actually she loved telling that story so then I was born in Mullingar General Hospital and then like I said, I lived in League in County Long for 21 years and then my parents got divorced and then I moved with Mam and the rest of the family up to the uh, grandparents where we lived there for six and a half years. They gave us a, a caravan on their land. As teenagers then, we were quite odd because Mam kept a tight rein on us. All the other kids would be going to discos and stuff like that and we'd, we were never really bothered about going out. I mean, we'd sit at home, you know, with the tape recorder glued beside the radio just trying to get some songs and stuff like that. And myself and Karen were close, so we'd always hang out together. Like, I, mean, I mean, it was a great childhood, but I'm telling Lisa about Lisa, because that sounds so boring. Like, no computer, nothing. Like That's probably the child texting. I want money. Can you see, uh, Lisa puts things in the wash that, like, you know, she hasn't worn in, like, three weeks. Oh, yeah, when she does it cleaning out the wardrobe. Yeah, and everything goes to wash. And you're saying to her, you haven't worn this. Oh, yeah, but it's just need, it needs to be fresh and done. Not row, not rows, as in um. We never shout. Breaking, no, we don't raise our voices. I think we'll go too classic for that. There will be long periods of silence where I wait for Rachel to apologise. She's usually in the wrong. Because I don't know what it's wrong. Yeah. It is usually her fault, though. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be disagreements about different things. Um, no, we're talkers. We're not, we don't shout, like, you know, so it's more, you know, Shelly, why have you got ahead of you? And then she'll tell me, and then I'll apologise even if I haven't done it. Yeah, it used to be the whole, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you, but apparently that didn't really work with us because we're both women. <laughs> I could never understand this. How can you not know that something's wrong? Because you haven't told me. Yeah. We're supposed to guess, we're supposed to understand each other. Soulmates and all that crap. I tell you. And you know when women tell you one thing because you're supposed to know that she means something else and all this, I could never get my head around this. Never. You're not meant to be. Um, I'm not sure how long you think I am. I studied accountancy in college and um, when I was in school I wanted to do something to do with writing, journalism and stuff. So, and I was good at a few things, but I was particularly good at accountancy uh, for some reason. Um, so I decided, okay, I'll do that in college. Studied that and my dad is, um, well, he's not a qualified accountant, but he was working as one, you know. So <clears throat> um, I kind of thought, feck it, I'll do that. Like, uh, went into it. And I remember when I qualified, my dad saying, my dad's turned around to me going, you do know I absolutely hate my job. 
And I was like, yeah, Dad, I know. And he was like, what are you doing? You're mad. He kept looking at me, just laughing, going, you're mad, you're mad. So um, I kind of had gotten to the stage. I worked for six years. Who is going to catch me when my plane goes down? Who is going to catch me? Um, and I got into the stage where uh, if I wanted to go any higher, I was going to have to go into a managerial position and I was going to have to study more. And I just didn't want to. I wasn't into it. I didn't like it. It was just a job. Um, love the crack with all the people in work and stuff, you know, but I just wasn't into it. So I started to get uh, really sick then because I was so stressed about it. Um, because I suffer from depression, I started to get um, to get really down um, get really into like into myself and we would have been out for about six months when it started and then it kind of went on for about a year so by the time uh like you know she said to me that we would have been out for about a year she said to me look you know this isn't normal you know go to a doctor um you shouldn't be like you know I just have days where I just couldn't get out of bed. And um, I know people say, oh, we all have days where you can't get out of bed. But it's not the same. It's like the easiest way I think to describe it is like you feel like you weigh 35 stone and you just literally can't even lift an arm, you know. And uh, and I, I just, like, wasn't able. So eventually she said to me, one of the days that I took off sick, she said to me, come on, I'm going to take the day off sick as well and I'm going to bring it to the doctor. So she brought me to the doctor and the doctor immediately described me as having uh, suffering from depression because I'd uh, because of how long I'd been ill and how ill I'd been since I was like in my teenager and stuff so <clears throat> he put me on Prozac which didn't work he said you're, you always have to give um, antidepressants take a long time to start working because uh, I have to get into your system um, and he said like it'll take about six weeks so after about two months three months even I didn't feel any. I still felt crap. I had to change jobs twice because I was miserable. Like I kept thinking it was the job's fault. Um, and then um, my uh, my mother said to me, um, "Look, you're going to have to. You can't just take pills. You have to get help." Do you know what I mean? So I was like, "Okay." So she uh, rang around because her brother suffers from depression because it's really genetic, you know. And he recommended this doctor that he went to. So I went to her for a while. And she put me on different pills and then different pills again. Yeah, I really have to try and find the ones that work, you know. And eventually, um, I'm on ones now that work for me. And she, uh, I started doing kind of therapy with her, but it kind of, I did, like, there's nothing wrong. Do you know what I mean? It was just clearly, she said it's clinical depression because it's just literally, there's not enough serotonin in my brain. So all I needed was to um, get the serotonin levels up and to deal with the guilt that a lot, a lot of people have when they suffer from depression. I mean, there's an awful lot of guilt around it because you think, you know, your family think it's their fault. Um, my mother for ages thought that she'd done something wrong. Um, you know, and I had moved in to, with Michelle at this stage and all my mother kept saying was, would you not come home? Would you not come home? Right? Um, eventually I had to turn around and go, Mam, I am home. And uh, so she was like, you know, okay, fair enough. But um, And Christmas... Um, Christmas of that year, which would have been 99, I think. Um, yeah, 99. I said to Michelle, like, I can't go back. I just can't go back. I, I was miserable all over Christmas. I was dreading going back. And Michelle said, well, then don't go back. Just, and I was like, but I, like, I have to have a job. And she's like, no, you don't. And she said, look, I've done the sums. Get your head together. 
go to therapy, sit in your arse, do whatever you have to do to get better, you know. So for about three months I did nothing and I, then that started to drag me down. You know, to have to get, you have to get up. That's the main thing. The doctor always says, get out of that bed. You know, you have to get up. Even if you just, you know, and get dressed and have a shower. You know, don't sit in your pyjamas flicking around the telly. Read a book, go to the library, just get out, get some air. And it took me months to be able to do that. Because Michelle is just so black and white. She, you know, I kept thinking, I kept apologising. She's going, you're sick, will you stop apologising? You know, so... That must have been wonderful. Oh, it was support. amazing. I can't even express how... It just makes you feel stronger, you know? Um, just not to feel ashamed, not to feel like there's something wrong with you. Um, Lisa, when she moved in with us, it happens very, it happens rarely, you know, three times a year or something. But uh, but Lisa, when she moved in, and it happened the first time, she didn't know how to react, you know? So I sat down with her and explained, you know? So I, I said, I just kind of have to hide. So now we call it Heidi. So um, so sometimes, like, you know, when I just go, I go off to bed and, she, and uh, she, Lisa knock on the door and goes, cowbell woman around, and I'm like, yeah, cowbell bitch. So then she's grand, and it's just a joke now, you know, and she's like, yeah, that's fine. Is that Mr. Beckham DIY? Oh, he's, I think he works for Argos or something like that. He's sending black packs for about two weeks ago, he started to drill and hasn't stopped for two weeks. He starts at about 8 o'clock in the morning and stops at about like 9 o'clock at night. Maybe he's locked in or something. Or maybe he's a serial killer, like in that film 7. Do you want to keep going with that? <laughs> Could be people trapped in there and here we are having dinner while they're nearing oh. death. That was a cheerful thought. <laughs> what do you think about the legislation that's coming in the UK to recognise same-sex unions? It's great. They'll never come in here, though. Um... It's brilliant because it's exactly what we want. You know, it's not religious, it's not marriage, it's civil ceremony. It's absolutely brilliant, but I don't think it'll happen in Ireland for a while. I think it will come in here eventually. We always copy the UK. Yeah, but <clears throat> we're much we're a Catholic country, they aren't, you know, mm. and you always have this... Yeah, well, the Catholics are falling out of favour with us now, aren't they? Or the Catholic Church is falling out of favour at the moment, so... Well, you'd would have thought so, but then Bertie said the last week, remember when Liz Yeah, but Liz O'Donnell said... said yeah, Liz O'Donnell said about separating church and state, mm. and then Bertie came in and said, oh, we can't do it at the church. Yeah. So... But he's just speaking on behalf of himself, wasn't he? Well, he's a teacher, so he speaks on behalf of yeah, the government. It was a bit scary because I was very homophobic. I mean, so much so that my mother wouldn't tell me about people that she thought was gay because I'd go mad and I wouldn't talk to them and stuff like that. I'm not sure. Apparently that's been termed internalised homophobia. I don't know, they come up with all these big terms for everything. I just didn't like it. And maybe at the time, looking back now, it was because I was questioning or whatever. I don't I don't go in for any of that. I always knew I was different, which I didn't have a clue. I was just Michelle, like, and that was me. Um, and then I went to college and I started uh, seeing a guy for about two years. But at the same time, I met this other girl who I liked. And then I was like kind of confused. I was like, OK, I like her. I like spending time with her, but... Started to realise then there was something more going on, so I started to check out, read up on sites and, and try and find out information about it. And then I think it was about six it was about six months after no two months I was going out with him for two years, but towards the end of the relationship there was a lot of other issues going on, aside from the fact that obviously I fancied um a girl, which would cause issues. We broke up and I think um I just started to go, Okay, look, I want to rationalise this in my head. What the feck is going on? I mean, can am I gonna be one of those people that I hate and there was a lot of that but I'm very I'm very black and white if this is what it is then I said okay fair enough I like girls I have to do something about it so I went to some meetings in there's a community resource centre called Outhouse I attended a couple of meetings there um, headed out for two months solid partying on the scene going oh my god women blah 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 I suddenly allowed myself to start looking at it and so it was I mean 
for some people the coming out process is a long drawn out um, really really hard time I, I was quite lucky I had quite a supportive family and friends I mean my mother was fine about it but I know a lot of other people have a very hard time so I'm not trying to trivialise I mean the coming out I mean there's been books written about coming out for different people but for me I thought it was quite there's a switch in my head that said okay the reason I was so scared of it was because that was what I was I can't explain what went on in my head um, but apparently a lot of gay people go through that they didn't I mean they are somewhat homophobic and then find out I went from hating it like I'd go past the George and I'd be rolling my eyes and giving out hell and like, what nine months later I'm in there like dancing away so I don't know I'm sure a therapist would have a field out of that. Mm, well, as I say, biologically, I don't have enough serotonin in my brain. Not, not enough happy hormone. But um, but it could, didn't help, you know. The stigma around... I mean, people say, you know, oh, it's really hard to be gay. And, uh, you know, why would... like Because an awful lot of gay people do have uh, mental health um, issues. But it's not because they're gay. It's because society throws this crap on you when you're gay you know um so it didn't help it really didn't help um and when I was in college it was oh, it was so low um I was so low it was awful really really bad I mean I just couldn't it was just a trudge to get through every day you know um because I fell in love for the first time when I was in college <laughs> and uh and before it was all kind of like, oh, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. Oh, uh, but, you know, and then I kind of decided, well, I'll be gay, but I won't do anything about it. Right, because I'm a good Catholic. Um, so, but then I met your one and I just fell head over heels. And, um, but it was really, really hard because I never told her um, how I felt about her. And she was a friend, a good friend, you know. And there'd be times where I just have to walk away. I just have to, like, we'd all be having, this gang was having lunch. And I just have to walk away because I was just... Everybody has tough times, though, you know. I was home one weekend, and my mother knew that I was having complications with my boyfriend at the time, and so I just sort of said, OK, I'll just tell her. So she was cooking dinner, and uh, she was standing there, and, and I was like, going, uh, Mam, do you remember the way I was saying I was having problems with blah? And she was like, yeah, yeah. Is that going OK, or does he need a kicking? And I was like, going, it's grand, he doesn't need a kicking. I said, uh, but I think I think I might like uh, girls. And she was like, oh, OK. So she goes, you don't like boys at all then? I was like, no, not really. I think I might be gay. And she was like, oh, okay, that's grand. She goes, do you want peas with your dinner? And I was like, no, I'm fine. I want a peas. I'll just have chips. She was like, okay, and that was it. So there's no big issue. I mean, she was she was amazing, like, because I was convinced from a rural background and how, how black and white she sees things. Like, she was just unbelievable how welcoming she was to Rachel and, like, you know, let us sleep in the same bed and stuff like that. It was just, she's just across the board. As long as you were happy, she was happy for you, you know? Um, looking back, Betty had been unwell, uh, but hadn't said anything um, for, I'd say, about a year before mm. it became. We had to, well, you know, she had to go to the doctor. She had to get it sorted out. But there was a year where she was kind of went to a doctor, and he said there was nothing wrong with her. And then, you know, she was unwell. She lost, uh, she lost a lot of weight and stuff. But um, she kept insisting that she was fine. You know, Irish mammies—they're always grand. So. Yeah, because we're together seven years now in March, mm-hmm. so it would have been um, around that stage. She got, she took ill, and we were on a family holiday, I think, mm-hmm. down in Tremor, wasn't it? It was around March or April. Yeah. And she was quite unable to walk. Like she usually is quite active woman, um, but she wasn't really able to do a lot of walking and stuff like that. So I kept insisting on her to go get a checked out, get a second opinion. But she's really like Asher and Grand type thing. And then we were away in France for a week, 
And when we came back, I got a message saying that she was taken into hospital, of course, against her will. Like she was saying, look, I'm just going to get checked up with the kepter. And then she was in and out of hospital then until she passed away the following year then. She was kept for a week. Um, we were told she had cancer and she was given four to five years. And it turns out that was a misdiagnosis, that she didn't actually have it, that there was a tumour on her. It was taking up most of her lower intestine, like the tumour was blocking out all her bowels so they couldn't actually get a test. But it was, um, when they did the test, it turned out to be non-benign, I think, is that the it word? benign, yeah. Um, and which when she was fine, so the doctors were just like, yeah, we'll just go in, we'll remove it, it's fine. Like People have these operations all the time. So she went in. It was her birthday in September, so we brought her away for a surprise weekend down to Wicklow. Karen came home, the sister from Holland came home, and we had a great crack down there, but she was still very, she was in a lot of pain. So we brought her back in September then, she went in for the operation, she was in and out. She was released after the operation was success, but she was in a lot of pain for a couple of days, so we took her back in. We took um, some weeks off work and stuff like that, I went down and stayed with Lisa, brought her to school and stuff like that. And then she was in Mullingar for about two months, Mm -hmm. so we'd go down to Mullingar every second night and visit her. And then eventually we made the decision to that, like, think Lisa moved up with us because we just couldn't work her going to school and taking time off work. Um, and then Mam was transferred to James's. But when she got to James's, she was taken straight into intensive care because they didn't realise what state she was in. And then there was visiting her in James as well. So it was like, it was quite a stressful time um, for all concerned. But um, my sister came home and we just, the three of us, four of us, like, just worked through it. Mm. We bought a car and. Um then we would come and at the beginning um, Shelley took some time off work her work were really supportive and told her that she could take whatever time she needed and she lived down there for about three weeks mm. um, and I commuted um, to work uh, every day pretty much from Athlone then when it looked when it, we realised that this was going to be long term we said to Lisa that she was going to have to move up with us and then, then Karen came home f- from Holland. So myself and Michelle and uh, Karen and Lisa, if they were up to it, uh, because it was very, it was very distressing. Obviously, drove down to Mullingar every second evening and back um, to visit her. It was, it was very tiring, but you just, you do it. I mean, you have to, mm. you know. It was just because when you look back and people say like, "How did you do it?" I mean, I think out of all the, vi- I think I only didn't visit her twice because one because time sick, yeah. one time I was sick and then another time I just said I couldn't face going in and seeing her so the lads went in but uh, you just it was a case you just got on with it like you had to do it I mean it was your mother mm. you know she'd mm. done so much for us and and um, like the amount of stuff that she did for us the least we can do is pay her a visit like and spend an hour with her in the hospital um, and like you look back like we just I remember stopping off in Kinnegad every second evening coming mm. home and just getting a bag of chips or something like mm. that for dinner because we'd give Lisa something and then head off. Lisa obviously didn't want to do much visiting at all because she just couldn't handle Yeah, it was just too distressing. Seeing her, yeah. Yeah, it was tough. But it's, um, in typical um, Farrell fashion, like, you know, it, like, we always, made, like, had fun. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, there was days when we'd be leaving Betty and she'd have a pain in her side laughing so hard in the bed, like, you know, and, you know, just... Cracking jokes, Cracking yeah. jokes and... Because she was, she was very down being there, you know, and uh, it was very tough on her. She's such an, she was such an independent woman, like, yeah. um, to have to worry about, like, nurses. Like, um, that one of the nurses made her stay out of the bed and wouldn't let her go back into the bed. And, and she was Mam was saying to me, like, please, like, Shelley, can you just ask them to let me back into the bed? So I went to the nurse and the nurse was like, look, I don't mean to be cruel, but she's better off out of it. And I was like, she's sitting there for fecking in a dressing gown, freezing cold, and you're mm. telling me she's better off out of it. So I said, just put her back in the bed. So they put her back in the bed, and Mam was like, grant, up with the blanket yeah. and everything. Cuddled in. <laughs> yeah. When, when Rachel was sick with depression, um, she was quite vulnerable and quite weak, so I was sort of, for want of a better word, the stronger person in it. But when it came to um, anything to do with mam, I was just, I'd fall apart. Like, But I couldn't really, when 
the kids well Karen and Lisa were around because they were sort of looking to me to be the mother figure and like Shelley what are we going to do with this and the operation and Shelley has to sign this and Shelley has to do that so I'd sort of turn to Rachel then to sort of like when I'd when I'd be upset or anything like that to sort of like you know I'd be in the room and she'd be the stronger one and she'd do the driving here there and everywhere and take care of everything so it was sort of a role reversal mm. and it was, it was just the way we just slotted into it I mean there was never any case of Rachel saying look it's your family like or look I'm not driving down there again you know like for God's sake I'm doing all the driving like because I can't drive and I mean she just drove everywhere it was like you know we'd get a call at five past one one night she took radio so we had to go up to James's and it was straight into the car and then it was up the following like morning a for work ticket. yeah <laughs> For God's sake, I'm not impressed. Yeah, because the two of us always, um, it was very important for us that Lisa saw us as a united front. There was no kind of, um, neither of us was ever weaker than the other, do you know what I mean? Because so that therefore she could go to either of us and, you know, and she was in a a strong family, I suppose. Because, I mean, obviously, like, the poor girl, her her mother was in hospital and she was only 14 at the time Mm. and it was horrific for her. I don't think, I, I mean, I'd be a fairly confident person anyway. Um, I don't think it's changed who I am to a certain extent. I mean, you can be co- you can be quite smug in the fact that you're in a long-term relationship, and you know it's easy enough for you to go out of a night and, like, you know, not necessarily mock or, or anything like that, but just say, God, you know, you're out and there's people out there wanting to meet other people and talking about being single and stuff like that. And you can you can become quite self-assured in, in the fact that you've got a partner and it's great for you and stuff. So you have to be quite careful when you're in a relationship like somebody could come dancing awkwardly up to you and ask you out so um, I think you do get quite confident when you're like you're, you're st- you know you're coming home to someone and it, it definitely you become you know sometimes you'd be having an off day and like somebody think oh my god like and then you realise like you know there's a person that wants to spend the rest of your life with you like and you're like okay actually it must be fantastic I mean a lot of people say you get married for tech we want to get married for tax reasons and all this stuff I mean there's a lot of different issues we do want to get married there's more to marriage than just tax and benefits and inheritance tax and all stuff there's the fact that like you say you stand up in front of your friends and your family I know we did it for the commitment ceremony but this time it'll be for real we'd have a bit of paper at the end to say that the state recognises us as a couple that um, that if anything were to happen to any of us like or if it recognised us as a couple it would mean an awful I would have been an awful lot anyway to, to a lot of people I'm sure but definitely in relation to having Lisa and if we were going to have kids for me, it's recognising that we've decided to spend the rest of our life together and having that bit of paper to say that, I think, would make a big difference. No matter what Michelle and Rachel are talking about, the conversation usually revolves around Lisa, Michelle's younger sister, who also lives with them. When I visited their apartment, she was often in her bedroom studying or playing her guitar. Um, well, she's busy playing her guitar and feeling sorry for herself at the moment, so she'll probably do that for a little while. And then um, I'll have to go in and tell her to do her homework, which would be great fun. Look forward to that. How do you, how do you approach that normally? Do you have much homework? <laughs> What's this? I'm going to have to go in and tell her to do her homework. She's got that, oh, she's got that essay due. That was what she was going to have tomorrow, actually. Mm. What's it on? She didn't tell me. Well, maybe she started. She was doing research on Google last night. Yeah, right. She's playing games. <laughs> she's really good at them, so. And, um. She's lazy. But then so was I, so I can't give out. <laughs> so I'm Patrick Kevin. Got to be cheerful. <laughs> she's sitting there, she's like, sorry, I go in and she's struggling with her, and then she's like, what? I was like, <laughs> what's your essay on? Which one? I was like, your English one. She goes, Patrick Kevin. <laughs> she goes, when's your one gone? I said, 
Don't take that personally. <laughs> Smack the strowman and write the song, but I hate my life. <laughs> Lisa, uh, when Betty passed away for the first six months, Lisa just became extremely depressed and very difficult. Um, and I found it difficult. I didn't know where what my relationship was with her. I'm not her mother, I'm not her sister. Um, and I was the two of us always got on and had crack, but then I had to suddenly like be the bo- be her boss in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? That was difficult. Um, and because she got so she was so down and she was very very depressed. Um, you know, I found it really. I just didn't know how to talk to her. I really didn't know how to talk to her. Um, I'd I'd try and uh, you know listen to her and stuff, but it it was very difficult. Um, and then one day, myself and herself and Lisa were. Uh, were fighting and because I was trying to I, like she was I don't know she was doing something teenagers and I, t- I told her not to do it and she just started you know shouting at me and I started shouting back and Michelle just came in and told her to shut the hell up and adapt because this just wasn't going to you can't be going on like this we're a family we have to act like a family so that for both myself and Lisa was kind of a watershed moment because Michelle got upset and was crying and Shelley never cries in front of Lisa she just doesn't uh, living with her uh, older sister and older sister's girlfriend is a bit of a novelty, do you think? Oh, yeah, I think so, definitely. Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, when she tells the people in school, you know, um, that she lives with uh, her, like, you know, if they ask about her mum or something, she's like, oh, no, my mum's not around. And they'd be like, oh, who'd you live with? And it's like, you've got no mum or no dad. And she's like, mm, yeah. But um, so she tells them, and they, they all just think it's weird, it's just bizarre, you know, and I think she kind of gets a kick because it's kind of cool. But, um, yeah, they definitely, it's very funny. Like, her mates all think we're the coolest mm. thing ever, like, because we let her stay up, like, reasonably late. And then she, like, when they come around, it's like, oh my god, you're, well, parents, guardians, or whatever. Because mm. so, there's not as much of an age gap as there would be between. And also because we're not as. Um, I mean, she doesn't get Well, she just, I don't think she can handle it at all, like, um, number one. And she's never seen me upset, so, I mean, if I'm upset, something must be really wrong. And she just, I think it's just a case of, like, being, with mam not around, like, she'd never seen mam upset either. So I think it's just a case of... And I mean, it's not a case of I don't consciously try to, you know, I'm biting my lip and mm. it's like a huge lump here going like, takes up crying <laughs> into the room, then I bawl my eyes out. Uh, that day I'd gotten... I just... The two of them were at each other and it had been building and building mm. because basically myself and Rachel come from two different backgrounds in relation to how parenting should be done. And I believe... I I'm I believe in my release the way Mam did, mm. whereas Rachel would have more of her own mother and, and sort of... We're trying to get a balance between the two. Like, obviously I'm not saying either is better. Yeah. But I was saying, this is what Lisa's used to, and we have to try and work with that. Mm. But of course, um, Rachel was just so annoyed. She was just like, what is this? And I could just, I came in and I heard through them screaming at them. I just walked in and roared at them. And I actually cursed as well. And Lisa was like, froze. Curse. <laughs> I don't curse. So I used the F word, I think, or something like that. And I was like, you're just going to have to work this out because I can't be refereeing you all the time. Like, I mean, we're both parents, Lisa. You're just going to have to understand that we're not ganging up with you because there's two of us because she only had one parent. As is, we're giving mm. you, we're trying to help you out. And, sorts of out so she was like okay Shelley and the main thing is like she's happy enough she's going into school every day which last year she didn't like yeah. she'd skip school and there was all sorts of trouble of her trying out yeah. all different stuff so I mean she settled down a lot so there's a lot to be said for how we're getting on with her that said she could turn around about 21 and Oprah and go you're up bitches look at the way you reared me how many child can say that to their parents on Oprah well maybe not Oprah <laughs> Ryan Tuberty Ryan Tuberty yeah starving yeah. does it keep you awake at night sometimes it used to yeah, uh, at the time we didn't take it into account because so much was going on but uh, and we didn't we, sorry for interrupting we didn't realise that um, it was going to be permanent because the doctors kept telling us that Betty was going to get better you know we really didn't know it was going to be permanent so at the time um, 
it was a big change but then when it became permanent it was a bigger change again yeah um, it, I mean you just have to be more responsible mm. I mean you have to go shopping every week because there's no way you can just say Asher oh, sure, be grand or we'll go out for dinner because like she needs her lunch and she needs her food uh, in relation to like we would have been you know going out a good bit and stuff like that you just can't do that now I mean she'll want you to hang around and help with homework or I mean now that she's settled back in it's sort of yeah we can go out once or twice a week but she's still quite like you know she wants you home when she's going to bed or to be tucked in and stuff like that so she still wants a bit of mothering mm. um, uh, and it's strange because we've started to turn to these people to talk about their kid when they're out now and I just have to shut myself <laughs> know, up it's it's like, but you don't understand how good she is at art seriously <laughs> and bringing out portfolios and all this stuff we have to shut ourselves up because uh, before it's like if your friends would be gone about their kids and stuff and you'd be like oh yeah here they go I suppose, yeah, you were in the opposition. So I, I was worried was about like Michelle because I knew she wasn't mourning her mum and then worried about Lisa as well, obviously. But um, um, it was really difficult. Christmas would have been the big... Yeah. Um, she was always adamant, like, in her mad fits of, like, whenever I pass on, I was like, ma'am, you're never going to, like, a long time away. But she was always quite savvy, like, in her head. Like, she was always saying, look, if anything ever happens, you know that I don't want Lisa to go to anyone else except you and um, Rachel. And I was like, okay, that's grand. It's nothing happens. She goes, if anything happens to you... I want Rachel to be uh, Lisa's legal guardian. I was like, okay, that's grand. But I said, you realise, like, you'll have to put that... And I was always trying to get her to make a will, and she probably thought I was after whatever money she didn't have. Yeah. But uh, she was... I don't know, whatever idea she must have got into her head, whether she had a premonition of what was going to happen. Or, and she wrote... She made a living will, basically, and in her living will, she wrote um, that she, in the event of anything happening to her, that she would leave custody of her um, daughter, Lisa, to me and she put my full name and then she put and her partner Rachel Armstrong and she put Rachel's full name she knew that like if, if, if it ever went to court and stuff like that I know living wills don't stand up for much but if Rachel's full name was there and if anything happened to me in the event of the extended family wanting to get their or in like it would be a long drawn up battle mm. at which stage Lisa would hopefully be of the age where she'd go look I just want to live with Rachel or something like that so would it make a Fairly difference <laughs> to your lives if the uh, Irish government recognised your, your marriage or union well, financially, I'll give you an example. Okay, myself and, and Lisa are both on medication, right? And so we spend 150 euros a month on medication. Okay, if Lisa, if I could be Lisa's uh, guardian, legal guardian, we could have you know the card you get, so that you only have to pay so much in the chemist a month. It's like 90 euros. That'd be 60 euros a month we'd save, and that's just one thing. It's if, also not just about financial gain. It's no. about stability and about getting the state to recognise the fact that. We contribute taxes the same as everyone else, mm-hmm. and we do this, and, and like we deserve a right to be recognised by the state. Mm-hmm. I think, um, like a lot of people say, when it comes down to it, oh, they just want, like you know, they want all the benefits that we want. Why shouldn't we get the benefits that that heterosexual couples get? Yeah, when we pay all of the prices. Exactly, and in in a situation where, like um, you said, with Lisa, like if you're a legal guardian, if anything were to happen to me, God forbid, I know mm-hmm. she's of the age now where she can talk in the courts, but. If a relative of my extended family, the non-favoured kind, showed up, they would like immediately have um, have more rights than I would. You were ta- you're talking about a long, drawn-out court battle that she doesn't need because she's had enough disruption in her life. If we were to have children, you'd have to go down the route of um, like you can get contracts drawn up and all that stuff. But it's not worth the papers written on because Rachel won't be recognised as if I have the child. Rachel won't be recognised as co-parent, mm. even though she's there day in day out feeding or doing homework or changing nappies or stuff like that. Because if anything was to happen to me, then the, the child is legally in limbo. Because if we were to go down the route of having an anonymous donor or someone involved, they would have they would be the biological father. So, 
I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of stuff out there. That, mm. I mean, it's more than just about taxes, but I it think is, that's absolutely. always what the press just latch on to because obviously the government are going to bang taxes up because gay people won't write. Yeah, it's funny, you know, um, the Minister of Finance at the time said um, that uh, to, for us to have uh, equal tax rights would cost the Exchequer some region, some figure in the region of 2 million euros. Well, my argument is we're getting ripped off by 2 million euros a year, you know, Um it's not going to cost the exchequer its equality. Um, and then they're saying it'll lead to the breakup of the family. With the family, I mean, it's not. Family, it's cementing families. The family unit is so diverse at the moment. As you see, you've got single parents, you've got grandmothers raising kids and dropping them to school, and you've got every sort of family unit possible out there. To say that uh, legalizing our relationship is going to lead to the demise of the family unit is just absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. but you've got them out there throwing out these little tidbits to keep. Joe Soap down the country who isn't really concerned about our relationship and doesn't care one way or the other if our taxes are going to go up and it's going to make a difference to our life then leave them as they are, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sure, they're not natural anyway. Rachel, Michelle and Lisa may not conform to everyone's idea of a family but a family they are nevertheless through good times and bad. Is there a particular turning point? Yeah, she um, Christmas of uh, last year, we she'd been hanging out with a, a certain crowd of people, and um, she had been hurting herself. And we'd spoken to the bereavement counsellor, um, Solace, who were excellent, and they had said like they're going to try and get her a slot and stuff like that. But we thought, like you know, the way I, at the time I didn't take it as seriously as I probably should have. Because they say that an awful lot of girls her age self harm, so so we didn't pass any heat. So she'd we got up, yeah, she didn't know what to do. Really. She'd gone up a couple of weekends hanging out at Central Bank drinking and that she'd come home drunk I'd talk to her and try and explain as she would like to and then we'd like ground her and she wouldn't be like wait for another few weeks and then we'd tell her she couldn't hang out with those people but she would anyway and so a week before Christmas she um, we got, were uptown shopping for a Christmas present actually I remember and I got a phone call from James's and I hadn't had a phone call from James's since mum passed away so I was completely freaked so I gave the phone to you I think I said yeah. um and they were asking, yeah, to speak to one of us, wasn't yeah, it? And yeah, then it was and like, Lisa had been, uh, she had uh, drunk too, so much that she passed out, and she'd been brought into James as in an ambulance. It was horrific. She came out, and she was after cutting her arms, and the smell of alcohol off her. Um, she just kept apologising, but they brought her to James's because she didn't want to go yeah. there. She knew we wouldn't be able to see she her there. So. Like, I kept saying, don't bring me to James's, because they'd be upset, God bless her. Just when she came to and seen the uniform, I was like, oh, God. Yeah. So, um... Yes, yeah, so we spent 12, 13 hours in the Aini and she kept wanting to go home and I was like, Lisa, they can't really oh, the, the people at James's in the Aini were fantastic. Oh, brilliant. So after that then she got an appointment for the psychologist in James's who recommended her to the Matter Child Psychology Specialist Unit. Mm. She got in there and they seen her like and recommended then as well with solace and with the tablets and all that stuff. Like, so the first couple of months were quite difficult. They were, yeah, but I, I mean, it was, it was a turning point. I mean, and I, kind of, I think that we kind of felt like that there was finally a light at the end of the tunnel, mm. as opposed to, oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But when she started getting therapy, and she, but she worked really, yeah. really hard at it, because she didn't want to feel that way. Yeah. She didn't want to feel that miserable all the time. But it's amazing how in six months she's come through. She's great now. Now she's a surly teenager. Now she's just, yeah, you know. So now when she's like, you know acting like a surly teenager it's almost like bring it on <laughs> it's easy compared yeah. to the way it was it's easier to talk to her yeah. like that, definitely. 